Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella. I'm your host, John Lampus, joined today by my good friend, Lisa Hawkins. How's it going, Lisa? It's going good, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Lisa, for those in the entire acapella world who don't know you, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the art of acapella? Sure. My name is Lisa Hawkins, and I'm from Anchorage, Alaska, where I am right now. And I just recently graduated from the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. And that's where I was co-director of my acapella group, my co-ed acapella group, Underground Sound, um, for about three and a half years with my friend Daniel Wolfler, which I believe you also interviewed on this show. Yes, he was two episodes ago. Yeah. (laughs) So I worked with him for a long time. I did basically in my time there is I kind of changed underground sound from what it was. It was kind of a, it was really loosey-goosey, which isn't a bad thing. I just wanted it to be a little bit more focused and more along the lines of competitive contemporary acapella. No geese. No loose geese, nothing like that. (laughs) I mean, I think there's a there's a great aspect of just, you know, singing for fun. And that's that's awesome. I just wanted to make it a little bit more than that because University of Puget Sound hasn't really seen contemporary acapella in a competitive sense either. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted to bring something new to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, how did you go about changing like the entire culture of a group? Because that's pretty hard. And I think if you especially you said you started directing like halfway through your freshman year. Is that correct? Um, well, it was actually my sophomore year. I started a small group within Underground Sound in the second semester of my freshman year. Oh. So I kind of helped or did my mm-hmm. own thing a little bit. And then I officially became a director in my sophomore year. Okay. So how how do you do that? How do you go about changing the entire direction of a group without, like, I don't know, kicking everyone of the group out and completely scar- starting from scratch? Because I feel like that's kind of the that's definitely the impulse some people have when they join a group at a new school and it's not what they want. So they're like, okay, I'll just make my own because trying to repurpose and um, readapt and change up an old group is is pretty tricky. So how did you go about doing that? Because I'm sure there are people in very similar situations that um, might not be totally happy with their group's direction. How do you do that? Yeah, so I struggled my sophomore and junior year um, to do that and I'm just kind of going by trial and error and there were, I learned a lot from that but it wasn't going at the pace that I wanted so the summer after my junior year I actually went to Camp Acapella in Dayton, Ohio and that was really really helpful for me. I took a group management course and it really taught me the importance of group dynamic and mm-hmm. having everyone on the same page and that's when I realized that the problem with underground sound was that not everyone was on the same page and everyone wanted something different from the group mm-hmm. what and were some of the things what were the varied perspectives you had what did different people want well some people just wanted to be there for fun um and I mean everyone wants to be there for fun but yeah. that's all they wanted they just wanted to like come in a couple times a week and sing maybe have a concert a semester or something like that maybe. other people you know. yeah <laughs> not a big deal whatever um and other people wanted to do more and um I guess on an extreme like I wanted to be competitive and that wasn't mm-hmm. really something that was on anyone's mind mm-hmm. um and so there was a lot of varying ideas of what people wanted so what I did when I came in my senior year is I just I just started with auditions and recruitment and I guess advertised the group in a certain way that made it so um, 
it, it was valued as a more high commitment mm-hmm. um, activity, and that really helped commitment and discipline in a way, and stop people stop being late and um, goofy and uh, unreceptive in mm-hmm. rehearsals. So that really helped. Um, and when we were recruiting and had our first meeting, I made it very clear that these were our goals, and um, we had um, kind of like a, not a contract, but expectations list that we had them sign. And that really helped get people on the same page mm-hmm. um, to move the group forward. And that, that was really key for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds like the place you ended up in your last year. How did you like, and it sounds like you had a very clear game plan, which is so nice, not just, you know, you'd had two years to try and figure out exactly what you wanted the group to be. How was getting to that point where you could give them that contract? How did you like come, how did you get to the point where the culture was like pretty much changed and you're like, okay, this is what it's going to be now. I'm a senior. This, these are the expectations. How did you get to that point? What were the hurdles you had to cross and what were the like, you know, pitfalls that you had to avoid? Well, so my sophomore What was juniors... all the bad stuff? Just tell <laughs> us. All the bad things. Um, no, I mean, every group has its um, difficulties, but um, for us, I think the most difficult thing is our turnover rate. A lot of people go in and out of the group, yeah. and that's something I wanted to um, uh, decrease. <laughs> what would you say was the like average amount of time someone was in underground sound? And, and for people who didn't go to UPS, we were on the semester system. Right. I would say about a year. Really? And that's, and that's really tricky. That's that, really tricky, yeah, because you, you get so many people in and out and you can't really gauge what sort of arrangements to make because you don't know who's going to be in the group and it, it can change in semesters. People have dropped in between semesters. Ugh. So it's, yeah, it was really tricky and that's something that I had to work with. But I think that people dropped out when I was trying to change all these things my sophomore and junior year they weren't liking the change or not everyone but some of them and they dropped out and um though it was unfortunate I think it was for the for the better because if that's not what they want then they shouldn't have to stay but what I did to get to that point is after I went to camp and learn all this stuff I made a video um explaining our goals and after I talked with my co-director um explaining our goals are a new idea for the group, what we wanted to accomplish and how we wanted things to run in the groups. And I made a video and posted that on our members page. Ah. And I told them that if this isn't what they want, like, let me know or like, it's okay to to say that's not what you want. We can either try to make it work or, you know, you don't have to stay. That's not requirement, obviously. So yeah, we just made it clear both verbally, visually. (laughs) (laughs) The visuals help. Um, When you're trying, when you were on that rough and tricky path to your senior year, where you were able to do this, did you mention some people left? Did you ever have to ask people to leave? Because I've had to do that in a group before. It's not fun, and it's it's kind of scary. Did you ever have to be like, hey, maybe maybe they wanted to be a part of that new culture and they just weren't putting in the effort or whatever? Did you ever have to face that? Yeah, that's always a really tricky and unfortunate thing but yeah I, I have had to ask people to step down um either they would miss too many rehearsals or um there there were times when some people wouldn't even show up to a gig and you know that's Oof. you know not acceptable so mm-hmm. we've had to ask people to step down which is sad but um you know they were always understanding there were no 
um, confrontation. Bad, bad. Um, you didn't have to fight them. Yeah, I didn't have to You've fight them. You've never punched anyone <laughs> when trying to get them to leave your group. Gotcha. Well, I find that so interesting about the video, using a visual medium to really drive it home. So senior year, when you were doing all this stuff, I'm very interested, how did you market the group? Um, especially in comparison to like the other three groups on campus. For those of you who don't know, there were... Uh, four groups on campus, my group, the Timbermen, Lisa's group, Underground Sound. Then there was a, tru- a uh, treble group, um, what she said, and a tenor-based group, Garden Level. So, Lisa, I'm, I'm just interested, how did you, before you even had them singing for you, before you had them in the audition room, how did you make it clear to people who were, you know, maybe expressing interest in the group, how did you make it clear what your standards were? Yeah, that was actually really fun because Underground Sound has a lot of unique things about it. It's the oldest acapella group on our campus by far, and um, it's also the only co-ed group. So mm-hmm. we got we got that going for us. But also what I did is I told them that we're the only group planning to compete this year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I and that was... Yeah, that that was something that really um, brought in the members that we wanted, mm-hmm. I guess, in a way. They were the people that generally audition were those who wanted something serious out of this. Yeah. Um, and they were willing to put in the time to do that. Um, and I told them we were going to be, oh, I couldn't guarantee the competition, but I, I was... Well, you guaranteed that you were planning to compete because, right. um, and by compete you mean um, ICCAs, and and you guys submitted the video and you did uh, go to right. compete in the quarterfinals, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Right, and so like the the first step to ICCAs is like a virtual round where you submit the video, mm-hmm. and that I did guarantee that we were going to try to compete and uh, apply yeah. to do that. Because so, I don't think any yeah. group from our campus has ever applied. Exactly, and that's something that I made clear also. Like, mm-hmm. we, we'll be the first one to do this. Trying to pointing out your individual characteristics, stuff that sets you apart from everyone else. That's what I think you have to do when we're doing this little acapella rush and we're trying to get everyone we can. How many members was your group when you were in it at the beginning, when it was more loosey-goosey and not as focused? And then how many members is it now? Because I imagine, like, turnover, it's easier to have a bigger turnover rate when you have a lot of members. It may be, like, excess fat. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, I'm, I need to not use, like, dehumanizing terms like that. I apologize. <laughs> so, yeah, what was your – how did the size of the group change and how did that contribute to the change in tone and direction? Yeah, so when I first joined, it was about – oh, man, it was, like, four and a part. So about 16 people. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I and and that worked at the time, but by the end of end of this year, we were down to eight. Wow! So and half of that. Yeah. How many did you start out at the beginning of this year? We started out with, I believe, um, eleven, and then mm-hmm. we competed with ten, and then by the end, we were down to eight. Yeah. And, um, why did those people leave, if you don't mind me asking? Was that more of, oh, I have individual stuff that just like gets in the way? Or is that, again, um, just kind of people who weren't following the direction the group was headed? Well, there are those who were involved in sports, and though they thought they could make it work at first, um, okay. just okay. kind of decided that it, they couldn't balance the yeah. two high-commitment mm-hmm. activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. To be totally honest, I I think it's something that's, they figure out that it's not for them and that's okay. That's totally fine. That's, you know, it's so interesting trying to like 
turn around a what is it turn around a like a freighter or something completely changing a group that has had a that is a fairly big part of the campus acapella culture scene it's 25 percent, only four groups um but so when you had you planned to when you're looking at it from sophomore year or freshman sophomore year when you're kind of getting these these ideas how to change it and then senior year had you planned to make it a smaller group or was that just kind of you had like you only had that certain amount of dedicated people so you just went with that number i did plan to make it a little smaller i wanted about 10 and we got 11 which is perfect and um we we just happened to get awesome members and i mean auditions are never easy we had to choose of course um that's that's how auditions can, that, work. that is that i mean we had to choose from a, a lot of great candidates this mm-hmm. i guess is what i meant but um yeah i was really happy with the group that we had and i think we were very successful due to them yeah and so you guys did get to compete in the quarterfinals this year as i recall right yeah that's correct good for you guys congratulations on that so when you are like changing the size of the group and now you you know all the groups you go with what you get you said it was four to a part four on um, yeah four to a part when you started in the group um what how many to a part what was the division of voices um at the beginning of this past year we had um three sopranos three altos three tenors and then a basin uh vp okay so you so, didn't have um yeah. you only had one bass and then no baritones or anything like that no we didn't have a baritone when we needed i wrote (laughs) in some of my arrangements i did write a baritone part even though i knew i didn't really have a baritone um and in that case one of the tenors would just step down and they were able to do it which worked out so in changing the direction of the group you know you're going to get different personalities in different people how did the feel in like social vibe of the group change over all those years because it's not just okay we have different people now there's i'm sure there's a different feel to the group and a different um message you sent you were trying to send out a different message but how did that all go internally i'm wondering in terms of the people and the personalities and the ideas yeah it actually went so much smoother than i anticipated um before we would just try all these different bonding activities um to get the group closer but this year without um all of that extra stuff we ended up being so much closer Mm -hmm. um and it it was just a bond that i had never seen in the group before and it was really really awesome because i don't know it it just had a lot of um a team or it it felt more like a team Mm -hmm. than just like a group and something that i learned at camp that i um kind of preached in the group this year was you have to be vulnerable with each other mm-hmm. um with especially with singers when you're you're when you're emoting and expressing all these different um emotions and uh meanings to these songs you have to be vulnerable to your to your members to be able to express that you have to be comfortable with them so my goal was to create a safe space within a group where we can have these types of discussions and something i did before um a concert maybe halfway through the semester when we were all memorized, I would um, have everyone sit in a circle and discuss the meaning of the song. We oh, would, yeah. Yeah, we would look up the lyrics, or um, if it was an obscure song, we had no idea what it meant. We would actually just look it up and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Try and figure out the meaning. 
Yeah, and that really was um, special to me because it really brought the group together, not only socially, but on musically. Mm-hmm. Um, w- after that discussion, we would get up and then sing the song, and it was just so different when everyone's emotionally on the same page and not just singing the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a connection there that is just really special, and that that helped us a lot, yeah. Absolutely, and whether you go about that in kind of a more formal way or just casually talking about the song, I think that is a very critical part of the process that it's the like the it feels like it's the last like ten percent that ch- like can really that can really change how the song comes across when you're all it's a pre- I mean acapella performances they're not just performances they're pre- they're presentations and they're presentations of the lyrics they're presentations of the emotion and the feel and the direction of the group and I think that's so smart where you're like okay this is like what the song means and we're pretty and we're pretty sure this is what it means and like where are you coming from if it's a song about loss or something maybe you're not all singing about like your dead puppy um yeah yeah and we would often ask like what does the song mean to you mm -hmm. um especially um to a soloist or something like what is it what do these lyrics mean to you yeah and that that was really really fun and that definitely because music is communication Mm -hmm. and having that sort of um uh, join communication yeah just when everyone's on the same page like that it you, you can have a good performance but that doesn't mean you you'll make the audience feel something mm-hmm. and that's really the goal with music with anything you want to make the audience feel something you want to make I, them cry yeah <laughs> either if that's like in a good way or a sad <laughs> way you know like you want to make them you want to make them feel so yeah that was that was my goal and that also I think helped with um facial cohesion oh yeah I've seen um, yeah uh, I was in a my high school group we did Sarah Bareilles's Gravity and I watched a video of it and it sounded pretty good but you see some of us like jamming out smiling and being happy and then other people are like looking really <laughs> sad and it just it looks really weird um oh but that makes so much sense and then I feel like if you have all the same if you have, you know, you learn the notes and stuff and you do all that and you try and make it musical. But then I think if you can get the emotional side down in terms of collectively deciding what that is, then I think it makes the musical stuff a lot clearer. Why are we crescendoing here? Why are we decrescendoing? What do the lyrics really yeah, mean here? Exactly. What are the most important parts of the song and why? And then, like, I don't know, we got to get quiet here because this is the soloist talking about something really, singing about something really important. We have to get really loud here because we need to support the soloist here because this is the emotional core of this um, musical line. And I think that, oh, that makes, man, I'm just realizing all this stuff and now I'm like, crap, I got to go do it. I got to get a group. <laughs> yeah, uh, and like you said, it really adds that like last 10%. And you can work out all these musical things, um, you know, and rehearsal and all of that. But when, you, when you're on the same page, both emotionally and musically, then all those things kind of come naturally. You don't mm-hmm. you don't need to sit in front of a piano and like talk about it and plunk out the notes as much. It, it's just something that comes naturally in that bond. A group that yeah. loves each other and is connected will sound good together. I absolutely agree. So you said you don't do as much formal like bonding, get together like activities as much. And it's um, is that true? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we have, you know, end of the semester parties and um, mm-hmm. sometimes we'll have, you know, little unofficial get togethers, but mm-hmm. nothing, nothing excessive. Something <laughs> that, yeah, because I feel like, I mean, obviously 
for all those listening, do whatever works best for your groups. But I've seen where some groups need to have like kind of a formal thing to like kind of get people to like be there and like put them in the place where they can open up. But also uh, you don't want to force social interaction too much or else it's just uncomfortable, I think. So I think that's mm-hmm. really smart. It sounds like you guys hit a good balance in that regard. Ooh, this is a bit of a this is a bit of a tricky one. Um, I say tricky so much in this podcast, like or in this radio show, so many times. If anyone out there can count the number of times I say the word tricky and tweet it at me, I don't know. I don't. I can't promise you anything. I can't give you a prize. But how do you deal? And I feel like. <laughs> This is true for every group, but especially more true when you're dealing with, you know, like I said before, changing the direction of a freighter. Um, what you do in, with personality clashes and like open conflict within a group, not even necessarily in regards to group direction, but just like I'm I'm lucky and also like unlucky in the sense that um, my group did not. We were all very just kind of chill dudes and that <laughs> there was not any real set there was no clash in terms of direction um, which it doesn't sound like you had either because you sound like you'll have very committed people but just what do you do and we didn't we didn't have this what do you do when like two people aren't getting along especially if you're in a smaller group and you can't like just not look at them because they're all like within two feet of each other um did you ever come across that and i'm wondering what you might have had to do in regards to get over that hurdle yeah, of course. I think every every group has that problem. Well, well maybe not yours. <laughs> I'm not really sure how. It's very lucky. <laughs> well, yours was also four people too. So five, yeah. five. Room. Oh, sorry, five. five. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, yes, um, we 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 did have a couple of those, but I mean, I think with that, it, it always comes down to understanding. Mm-hmm. If some if people don't get along, it's usually lack of understanding or miscommunication from what I found. Mm-hmm. So something <laughs> I found that there's um, some tension in rehearsals um, repeatedly for like two or three rehearsals. So mm-hmm. what I did was I sat people down and I said, okay, so I've noticed some tension. What's going on? And we just kind of like sat there and everyone got to talk about it and talk about their feelings and what was <laughs> bothering them. And um, and I that was really helpful, actually. It, and it, mm-hmm. it went away immediately. Oh, that's um, good. When, yeah, I think when people get to express their um, discomfort or unhappiness and kind of have their voice heard mm-hmm. and have people s- listen and um, especially in a- with that. Especially in a facilitated environment like that, where yeah. you're there kind of monitoring everything. And that, again, goes with, like, creating that safe space. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we could have done that in the previous years if people um, didn't feel comfortable the way we did this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was um, that's just something I came up with on the fly, but it worked out. Very <laughs> good. Well. That's awesome. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break here, and we're actually going to listen to a tune that Lisa sings the solo on. Lisa, do you want to tell us what we're going to listen to? Um, sure. Um, this is a song we competed with in the Northwest quarterfinals this year, and it's called One That Got Away by Katy Perry, arranged by me. <laughs> Yay. And folks, if you had listened to episode two when we had Daniel Wolford, we actually talked about this arrangement in particular, so you should go back and listen to that one as well. So we're going to have a quick little break, and then we're going to hear that, and we'll be right back here on Tacapella. Ta-da! 
You're listening to Acaville, streaming acapella music 24 hours a day, and online at acaville.com, putting the ah into acapella.
And we're back on Tacapella. All right, Lisa. So this is a topic that I have not talked about on any previous show, primarily because I don't know really anything about it, and I'm certain <laughs> you do. Um, you know, my group was uh, five t- five tenors based five tenor based voices, and we did not compete in the ICCAs, and um, that was just not really on our radar for that past year hopefully will be uh, coming up but one of the requirements of ICCAs is choreography as I recall so that's something I've never been in a group that has sung acapella and danced I have been in a show choir where there was like accompaniment and stuff but <laughs> I have never done anything like that so for those groups out there those directors musical directors presidents all that who are very scared of this art that requires coordination in other parts of our bodies besides our voice. Um, what is your advice and what was your like journey to get yourself from a group that was like, you know, almost, uh, I think you sound uh, before you were there, I think it was like almost 20 people sometimes. And they just, they never did choreography to a group of like nine people that does very um, tight, specific choreography. How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, so, I mean, I like to pretend that I know something about this, but reality is I just kind of taught myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I was the choreographer for our group, but um, I would do a lot of (laughs) YouTube watching and (laughs) kind of, I think the key to choreography is making it work for your group. Like, Mm -hmm. don't try to copy other people's choreography because odds are it's not going to work for you. Um, You really have to cater to your group in terms of... um, you have to know each member's like dancing ability like don't don't do anything too difficult if you if you know your members aren't going to be able to handle that and odds are they're not i mean singers are not dancers usually <laughs> um <laughs> well that brings up an interesting um point because i was in uh show choir in high school and we had a dance there was a dance audition part of it and then they did it for the first two years and the third year they just cut it out because we didn't really do Hmm. as much dancing but did you have a dance portion of your audition process we did not have a dance portion though when what we did for auditions is we had them fill out this form that kind of um they wrote down their like vocal experience or choral experience Mm -hmm. um and if they've had any dance experience Mm -hmm. and that was helpful um just to get a feel yeah just to get a feel if they can move or not but something else that we watched for in auditions is their um visual presentation during their solo performance stage presence right stage presence is you know key so we watched if they're um comfortable you know, um, being yeah. in front of people, if, if they're shaking and scared, you know, that that's going to be really a big hurdle to get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what kind of choreography did you do? Because I've seen, you know, just watching the, uh, uh, seeing some of the ICCA competitors this year, I feel like there was a wide range. Some, it, like, I remember seeing one group, it almost felt like more of a show choir than an actual acapella group because there was so much mm-hmm. choreography. And then I saw other groups where, um, you know, the other end of the spectrum where there were just some songs they didn't move and they were just in the semicircle, you know, standard acapella formation. But then, you know, I also saw groups do stuff that was more akin to blocking and, you know, just um, specific movements across the stage rather than like actual dancing, which is if I ever did it, that's how I'd have to do it. But what was where on that spectrum of like 
crazy dance moves. Everyone is break dancing versus not moving at all. Where did you guys fall on that spectrum, and how did you do that? Uh, I would say we fell mm, in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely tried to keep it simple because when it comes to visual presentation, groups look at that category on the ICCA score sheet as meaning choreography. Mm-hmm. Um, but visual presentation can mean a lot of things. It can mean, um, you know, facial expressions, facial cohesion, mm-hmm. um, outfits, and just um, general professionalism mm-hmm. um, when it comes to presenting yourself in stage presence. So I, I don't think it's all about choreography, though it, it definitely helps to have that visual um, aspect to your mm-hmm. to your performance. Um, yeah. So what I did is I, I kept it as simple as I can while still making it interesting. Serve so there's the always, yeah, oh, my four points when I was talking about choreography with my group is simplicity, purpose, believability, and cohesion. Mm-hmm. If you have those four things and have it work for your group, then you should be good. Um, Could you say those four one more time? Yeah, simplicity with purpose, believability, and cohesion. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I think those are really important because you want to keep it simple enough that you can your your group can do it well mm-hmm. and do it well so your musical aspect of it is, isn't jeopardized. Mm-hmm. And you want to do it with purpose so the judges and the audience doesn't look don't look at you and just think you're moving for the sake of moving. Yeah. So my past, you know, in past groups, like I said, we hadn't done choreography, and um, I've only prof- not professional. I've only really led one group, um, but my reluctance to use choreography was definitely based on the standard like i just wanted to focus as much on music as possible but then i would say we kind of suffered in that it's really easy when you're not dancing or doing something physical to just kind of look like you're just just standing and singing and it's just not visually that interesting but also um i worried about not being not knowing how to choreograph but um probably the biggest thing was i wanted us to focus i didn't want the dance moves and like literally the movement of bodies to get away in the way of proper vocal technique, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is really easy, especially when you see people like leaning down, like at 90 degree angles and like bending on their knees. And I'm like, it's so hard to make a even somewhat good sound when you're doing that. And obviously I know you guys didn't do that, but that's, I think a reluctance um, I see a lot. And then also for me, the biggest fear in doing choreography that I have is people you know you're moving across the stage and you're um you're literally hearing different things and for me i wanted to just like have us stay in one place so we knew exactly what we were listening for um at all times and like okay my part goes with like greg's part really well i'm going to stay here next to greg and i'm going to tune these fifths or whatever but when you're moving if you're far apart on the stage especially when you're in a smaller group like both like we both had i feel like it's so much easier to go out of tune if you can't hear if you're not used to hearing across stages and then what if you're in like just a stage you're not used to and like the acoustics are bad and then you're like well crap what do we do we need to do this choreography but we can't hear that well so i i've personally always seen I, i need to get over this but i always saw choreography as a hurdle and a block against good oral listening essentially so assuage my fears. Tell me it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay, John. Okay, cool. I'm good now. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that that is definitely something to think about. Though I think also 
choreography can really help the musical aspect. Sometimes when you're moving and you have a cohesive movement that the whole group is doing, it really helps with those like crescendos and cutoffs. If you have that like visual um, thing you're physically doing with your body to help you. And I found that a lot of things got better with choreography. Not everything, but a lot of things did improve. But I think the fear of moving too much, that again comes to catering to your group. And whatever your group can handle is what you should do. Yeah. Don't do any more or less than that. <laughs> yeah. I also worry a lot about like if we're moving too much, getting away from proper vocal technique, which I think just comes from my education in that area. And always my main goal is good vocal technique and good tuning and we'll work out everything else later. But I think um, we suffered more for that in that because we weren't moving as much just physically in regards to like block, even just blocking because we weren't doing that, it was easy to just kind of have flat effect, just blank faces when we're singing these important songs i yeah that's something i wanted to gear away from also because when i joined the group that's kind of what it was and my biggest pet peeve is the acapella bop I think oh i'm talking hate... about oh god and that's just that's something that comes with not having anything to do with your body but still wanting mm -hmm. to feel like you're enjoying being on stage and mm -hmm. that's a very natural move but when everyone's doing that at, with the different you know <laughs> different movements different tempo mm -hmm. like it, oh, it gets really confusing and disengaging for the audience mm -hmm. and that's something i wanted to not do anymore it's okay to stand in a semicircle for some movements you know that's that's totally fine but avoiding that like <laughs> general bopping movement just kind i think of like awkwardly yeah. moving your body it, it just really isn't engaging for the audience and they just kind of tune out and if you're doing that for you know like five six songs on repeat Ugh. it's the audience is going to be like why am i here i could i could listen to this on the radio yeah. or soundcloud oh, that makes a lot of sense man now i want <laughs> okay <laughs> Next group I'm in. Going to make sure we do choreography. So you would just go on YouTube and just like look at what other groups were doing essentially? Yeah, I would just kind of look at what I liked. Um, mm. I was like, oh, that looks cool. Or that group is really doing something unique and trying to take different ideas from different groups and, and making them into my own mm -hmm. um, and making them into something that would fit my group. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's how I learned. I don't really have a cool official story <laughs> <laughs> or background in dance experience at all for that matter. Because mm -hmm. um, most acapella dancing is more just like you said, blocking and transitions yeah. and movement as opposed to literal dancing yeah so yeah i just kind of thought about what the contemporary acapella scene is up to right now and yeah. then kind of making that into my own for my group wow that makes no that makes a lot of sense how how do you teach the dancing like would you learn the entire i assume learn the entire song first um and then worry about the dancing would you because I've been in groups, um, just in my show choir, sometimes we would like, before we even saw the dance moves, we would start writing stuff in our scores, like move here, do this. How, what, what's, what do you find to be the most effective process when communicating and trying to teach choreography? Uh, well, the first step is we have to memorize the song. Yeah. Because if it wasn't ready for memorization, I mean, that's going to be a whole new a can of worms that you have to mm -hmm. jump over. So, um, yeah, we would have them memorize the song. And if, if we couldn't memorize it in time to put choreography to it, that's okay. Like, I'd mm -hmm. rather put mus musicality above mm -hmm. everything else that's um, important. But um, in order 
to get that choreography down once it's memorized, I found it most effective to, when I think of a choreography movement, I write it in my score and kind of have like little little dots as um, people, and I would just kind of instruct them to move. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just tell them, hey, you're going to go here during this chorus, and just kind of instructing them in that way, and just doing that in sections, and then running it whether that's just like the first intro and the first verse, mm-hmm. but doing, running, doing little yeah. chunks. No, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, we got the dance room this year, which was really helpful. I was for there. That. I remember. So, yeah, you were. <laughs> um, and I wanted to bring that up. Actually. I feel like if you have them looking at themselves in a mirror, they're going to try a lot harder because they're going to be way more unhappy with, I mean, I don't think anyone, I know very few people who like watch videos of, of themselves dancing and like, yeah, I look great. They're always, they're going to be yeah. extra critical, but they're going to get immediate feedback because, well, that's how mirrors work. Um, God, that's so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I feel like if you put them in front of a mirror, it's, you know, they're going to look at their facial expression. They're going to be thinking about everything. And then they can also see um, what's going on behind them, of course, and then they have a better sense for the entire group's movement and not just where they're supposed to go. So I think the idea of using a dance room or just a place with a bunch of mirrors makes a lot of sense and can early on, you know, because it's really easy, I think, if like teach the dance moves and if they're not doing it energetically at the beginning, they probably won't do it energetically in performance or they'll try exactly. to. And they, but that's going to be out of a place of nerves, not out of a place of confidence and experience. So by doing that, then by putting them in a room with mirrors it's silly as it sounds by making sure they're doing it in practice like they want to perform it i think that guarantees a much more energetic and faithful approach and uh, faithful and energetic performance yeah it really worked for us because even if you think you're um doing the same thing that everyone else is you might not be and being able to see that in the mirror and being able to see your facial expressions and your movements in comparison to everyone else to ensure that cohesion that that was really helpful yeah. would you record would you video yourselves yeah um we would in addition to practicing in front of mirrors sometimes we would record um with a computer or something and then put it up on our members page mm-hmm. and so everyone can go back and watch it and be like oh i'm doing something really weird right there <laughs> oh that's really yeah. good i think that makes so much sense um, would you ever would did you have any way they could look at the choreography like did you ever record yourself doing all the choreography so then like they could look at it like and practice it on their own or did they have to just kind of remember it in a sense I don't think it, it would have been really helpful if I was just doing it because everyone's doing something different. Everyone's gotcha. in a different position. Mm-hmm. So if it was just me, it, it, I don't think it would have helped that much. But mm-hmm. the video um, after we had kind of gotten the whole song down and re- recording ourselves, that was the most helpful because mm-hmm. they could physically see themselves moving mm-hmm. um, where they were supposed to go. And also, I think that really ensured confidence because mm-hmm. once they saw the video and be like, oh, okay, we, lo- we look good. Like, yeah. we got just these couple things to fix. And mm-hmm. that really um, made ourselves comfortable performing too. Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds great. So just to wrap up the this choreography tangent, um, not tangent. This is what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> any final words for people out there who, for groups or group leaders who want to kind of dive into this scary world of choreography, not look stupid, and any big pitfalls to avoid? 
Um, I would say don't be afraid to try things and it's okay to not do everything perfectly the first time and just make sure you have simplicity, believability, cohesion and do it with purpose and Mm -hmm. make sure that you are making the audience feel something. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Lisa, because I don't know anything and now I know a little bit more. (laughs) So let's take another little break here. We're going to hear a tune called pretty hurts and lisa why are we listening to that and who is it by it's by cape harmony um which is an all-female acapella group in boston massachusetts we're on cape cod but i'm going to be joining them next week and i'm super excited this i believe will be airing when you just get there so that'll be great so this is we're gonna take a little break and then come back with a little bit of cape harmony You're listening to Acaville, streaming acapella music 24 hours a day and online at acaville.com with nothing but love for altos and tenors everywhere. Doctor. 
or a pill that can take the pain away The pain's inside and nobody frees you from your body It's the soul, it's the soul that needs surgery It's my soul that needs surgery Past your and now can only take you so far Then you break when the fake facade leaves you in the dark You're left with shattered mirrors and the shards of a beautiful past Pretty hurts. Pretty hurts. Don't hurt us. Hurts. Shine a light on the steps of us. See me, see me, see me, Here on Tacapella, we just listened to a little bit of Cape Harmony singing Pretty Hurts, and we are here with guest Lisa Hawkins. We're just going to wrap up this episode. Lisa, I'd love to end the episode with talking a little bit about um, a very interesting situation you're in, and that is um, being in Alaska because you live in a blues. <laughs> and- no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> no, I would love to I'm talk. I'm in a glue right now. So. Lisa, what I'd love to talk about is a very interesting situation you're in, and that is being in Cape Harmony, which is a group now that is, like, chosen from people, from singers, from soprano alto vocalists from around the country, if I understand that correctly. And did you fly out? Like that, I feel like that's a very interesting situation to be in um, and put yourself in and audition for and everything, because it's not like, okay, I'm going to go sing for these people in person. Um, did you even um, meet the people, the Cape Harmony people, in person um, before you were accepted into the group? Did you ever, like, for callbacks or whatever, did, were you able to go there and check blend or whatever? Or is it all electronic? Because I think that says something about, you know, us being in the digital information age, about the connections we can make in music and the kind of stuff we can build without actually being in the same room. Like, for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm in Oregon right now. Lisa's in Alaska. And that says something about we're able to create this content um, without being in the same room and without being next to each other. So what what's the deal with Cape Harmony? What is that, Lisa? Tell us. Tell me. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's an all-female group uh, based in um, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And um, so I saw the ad on Facebook um, through some of my friends who are in the acapella industry, and I um, emailed them a few questions and decided to send them an audition tape and uh, just did that kind of on a whim because I was like, I'm graduating. I have no plans. Why not? I got nothing to lose. So I did that, and I got a call back, 
And I think their callbacks, they, they really prefer that you go in person. But, I mean, they're in Boston, and I was in Tacoma, Washington, which is across the country. Yeah. So I was like, um, I, I can't really fly out. It's um, still like a school week, you know. So they were like, okay, well, let's do a Skype callback. And I was like, great, perfect. So we did that. And um, wow. next, yeah. Like, so how does a Skype callback work? Well, we just picked a time that worked and um, during the audition day where they were actually doing callbacks. Mm -hmm. And I saw, I think, about four of the members through Skype. And um, they kind of tested my range and got a, uh, asked me a lot of questions, kind of got a sense of who I was. And I sang a song for them and did some sight reading stuff. But yeah, it was all, it was all over Skype. You sight read over Skype, like... So did, what do they do? Do they hold the sheet music up to the camera or whatever? <laughs> no, they, as they were talking to me, they sent me something. They're like, I literally just sent you something in your email. Open it. Um, it's a sight singing thing. And you go. <laughs> oh, and so what, the thing that I find, uh, did you, did they like sing, not doing the sight reading part, obviously, but did they ever, did they sing with you when you were singing over Skype? Because that. No. Okay, because I just imagine no. like that wouldn't really be possible because of the uh, time delay, and also yeah. like, well, yeah, we liked your tone, but it was a little staticky. Like, <laughs> I just, I, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, what, no, they didn't do any blending stuff, but other okay. than that, I think we covered everything. Wow. So you sang a solo song over Skype. You tested range over Skype. When they tested your range, did they like play the notes on a piano on their end, and then you sing them back on your end? Yeah, I think so. Do you know of any other groups that do? I mean, I know there's also Hyena Sound, which is like um, the tenor bass equivalent of Cape Harmony, but I've never heard of uh, groups, at least up to this point, of doing, creating groups across the internet, except for something like Pentatonics, but they, they all met like the day before the singer or whatever. But mm -hmm. I think that's a good example also of people creating groups and creating ensembles through the internet which is like really scary and really exciting yeah i'm not I'm definitely sure of it but i'm sure it goes on you know all the time when in terms of recruiting you kind of have to use the digital stuff mm -hmm. nowadays that's how you that's how people connect and that's how you find people oh, that's so cool that's so cool uh, well, I hope you have a great time at Cape Harmony because that sounds like it's going to be a very awesome experience. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> well, Lisa, thank you for giving us that little snippet into the digital age of acapella auditions. And thank you so much for being a guest today on this episode of Tacapella. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, folks, we've started a tradition here, starting with the last episode, that the guest gets to choose a song to play out the episode with. Lisa, what are we going to be listening to as we close out this episode? Um, this is one of my favorite songs it's called Stop This Train, um, and it is covered by the Scattertones, and it was from Boca 2016. Awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much, and thank you all you listeners listening to this episode of Talk Pella. Here's Stop This Train by the Scattertones, and we'll see you same time next week for another episode of Tacapella.
try to keep an open mind I just can't sleep on this tonight Sleep on this tonight Stop this train I wanna get off and go home again I can't take the speed Can't see.